Mark chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 21 in just a moment through uh, chapter 3, verse 6. And uh, if you don't have a Bible uh, with you, please use the uh, Bible that's located in the chair rack in front of you. Turn to page 708. 708 of a passage that we'll be looking at. While you're finding that, tell you a quick story here. There was a, a group of American Christians who were on a tour of the Holy Land and had the opportunity to give Christian testimony to a Middle Eastern audience. One woman in the group gave the translator a particularly difficult time because in explaining her life and what it was like before she came to Christ, she used a very uncomplimentary term to describe herself, a term that her fellow workers, co-workers, had used for her. They'd called her an old bag. She explained the name was used because she was unhappy and grim as she was trying to be a good person. At first the translator was confused, but in a moment he understood for Being an old bag has nothing to do with one's culture or age or physical condition. It's a spiritual thing. And the question that I would like to open our time together with this morning is this Are you an old bag? Is your life brittle, inflexible, unyielding, hard? Have you experienced the fullness of the reality of the gospel? the living presence and power of God in your life. Mark chapter 2, verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, for if he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need in the days of Abiathar the high priest? He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, and... 
The reference point here is that it's another Sabbath. And that's made clear in some of the other, in, in Matthew and in Luke, that also give this particular story. Another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This morning I'd like to continue the conversation that we began last week about the subject of true change. If you've been even partially awake over the last several months, you know that the word that has been in the air everywhere is the word change. But I'd like to submit to you today that there is a change far more radical than the kind of change that's being offered to us by, and this is not a political statement, it's by any, any, what, any sort of governmental system or educational system or any business or economic system out there. There is a fundamental radical change that is needed in this time, in this day, in this hour. It's true, real, lasting, radical change. Radical change. A radical Jesus uses here a couple of um, parables to sort of introduce this theme. And he brackets them around a couple of conversations that he's having with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. First one about fasting and then the one about Sabbath and Sabbath keeping. No one sews a new piece of cloth on an old, ragged garment. 
Because if he does, when he sews that on, the first time that that garment gets washed and the cloth, the new cloth, shrinks, it will simply rip and tear the old garment much worse than it was to begin with. And no one takes new wine and pours it into an old, brittle, inflexible wineskin because if he does, when she pours in that new wine into the old wineskin, the old wineskin will simply implode under the pressure of the expansion of that new wine. The Lord is doing a new thing. He is always doing a new thing. Jesus announces the new thing of the Gospel when He comes proclaiming that the Kingdom of God has now arrived. New wine is here. And the old wineskin, brittle and dry. The wineskin of the rules and regulations and rituals of the Pharisees was not going to be able to handle that new wine. Let's talk about Sabbath. One Sabbath. Now, if you read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, as part of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of the Lord, to structure the life of His people together, the Lord speaks to the people, his people, and says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now around that fundamental principle of Sabbath, the Jewish... um, Pharisees here had developed a series of 39 clarifications around what work is and is not. And each one of those 39 clarifications had many sub-clarifications underneath them. Four of these clarifications had to do with harvesting. 
So there was a legal clarification against reaping and threshing and winnowing and preparing food. The disciples on this particular Sabbath day as they walked through the fields... Now, now there was a gracious provision within Jewish law that would allow the hungry to handpick fruit or grain for their personal consumption. That was allowable by the law. If you were really hungry and walking past an apple orchard, you could pick an apple off the tree and eat it. If you were walking through a field of grain and you were really hungry, you could pluck a stem and eat it. The issue here was that the disciples were doing that on the Sabbath day. When they plucked the grain, they were considered to be reaping. When they took that grain between their hands and did this to separate out the seed, that act of doing this was considered threshing. When they took whatever was there, what, what the, the, the husk around and the chaff, and they blew that off the seed, that was considered winnowing. And all three of those together was considered preparing for food. So already, all four had been violated by the disciples. And so they said, the Pharisees, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, note Jesus' response here because it's very essential. And in this morning, what I really want to discover together and focus for a moment, our moments together on is this. How, how is it that you and I can develop a new wineskin? What do we need to do to overcome the brittleness and inflexibility in our lives and in our hearts? Notice what Jesus says here. He answered them. Now, now this is there's a little hint of irony here. Okay, He's talking to the guys who spend their lives studying the Scriptures. And He comes and He out-Bibles them. Have you never read? Uh, guys, have you never read? Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Well, why don't we read that? Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. David went to Nob to Amalek the priest, and Amalek trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered Amalek the priest, The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. 
As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us as usual. Whenever I set out, the men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now there is just all kinds of things embedded here. Jesus points them back and reminds them of this story of David and his men who are on a mission as Jesus and his disciples are on a mission. And as they were traveling along and doing the mission, they became hungry and there was nothing for them to eat. So he went to the priest and here was this bread, this consecrated bread, which was only for the priests. Notice the bread of presence. <laughs> the significance of that. The bread of presence. The consecrated bread was all that was available for them to eat. By using this illustration, Jesus is reminding them of a deep truth that is deeper than what they have constructed sort of externally around the Sabbath. That deep truth, that deep place, that Jesus brings them to, is that the original intention of Sabbath was to be a continual remembrance for the people of God of the provision of God. It was to be a weekly jubilee, a weekly reminder of the announcement that under the kingship of God, there is rest, there is release, there is restoration. Under His good kingship, all that they need will be provided for them. The Pharisees with all of their elaborate rules and regulations, had built a fence around the truth, but that fence 
prevented people from actually experiencing and living that truth. They had set loyalty to a system above loyalty to God. And when Jesus declares Himself Lord of the Sabbath and says that Sabbath was made to serve man and not man to Sabbath, He is going back to a root and bringing out a radical change that is so transformational that it simply breaks out of that old wine skin. Have you not read? Have you not read? You see, here's what here's what Jesus is basically saying to them and says to us today. Whereas he appears to be breaking the law, in fact, he is being radically obedient to that law. Because the law of Sabbath was the law of God's provision. Who interprets Scripture correctly? The one who knows and represents God's will. What is lawful to do on the Sabbath? Who decides what is lawful? Whoever is lining up with God's heart and intention. And that intention is His provision. Go on. Another time. Chapter 3. Another Sabbath going into the synagogue. Man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. What's lawful? Here's this man with a shriveled hand. Now, we don't fully comprehend sometimes some of the sociological dynamics that are present in these stories because where we live in the time and space that we live in now. But this man with a shriveled hand, there was more going on here than simply a physical infirmament. Because of that physical infirmament, he was not allowed to, to serve in certain um, types of, of uh, roles and positions and responsibilities within the synagogue. He was excluded from certain things because of his impairment, his physical impairment. Tradition has it, and now, you know, obviously this is not in the scripture, but tradition has it. And sometimes those traditions, those oral traditions that go back, there's, there's kernels and, and, and of, of you know, embedded truth in those traditions. But tradition has it that he was a plasterer, that that had been his occupation before he was struck by his impairment. Obviously, with his shriveled hand, he was unable to do 
the vocation for which he had been trained and was called to do. He was limited from fully experiencing that destiny that he was called into. Now, one of those 39 regulations that they had around Sabbath was around work. I mean, the 39 regulations around work was about healing. To heal on the Sabbath was to work. They had all kinds of sub, sub you know, minutia, subpoints about what healing was. Now, if somebody's life was in danger, you could only step in and do the absolute minimum to stabilize them so that they would not die. If there was a wound, you could put a bandage on it or a tourniquet to stop it from bleeding, but you couldn't put any kind of ointment on it to help make it better. Because that would be working. If you had an ear infection, you could stick a plug in in order to stop the, you know, the, the, the ongoing um, flow of, of whatever fluid coming out of the ear. But you couldn't put any kind of balm into the ear. If you did that, that would be work. All you could do was the absolute minimum. But once again, to that kind of thinking, Jesus goes to the heart of the issue, which is really the heart of what the Sabbath is for. Again, Sabbath has to do with the very salvation purposes of God for man. To remind us of who is in control. To bring us face to face with the reality of the presence of God. And in God's presence, there is provision. In God's presence, there is healing. And it's out of that that Jesus... It's not that Jesus is focused on breaking Sabbath law. He is concerned with bringing the grace of God to concrete expression. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, in the parallel scripture here, there's a very interesting thing that Jesus also says here. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, in the same picture. I tell you, that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. Here is the foundational purposes and principles behind Sabbath. He has come to bring mercy. And that's his desire. To heal, to provide, to save. This is not incompatible with Sabbath keeping. It is the essence of Sabbath keeping. 
So what does this have to do and what does this tell us about new wineskins? And the new wineskins that the Lord wants to create in our lives. Jesus is bringing a challenge to the old wineskins. He's saying, I want to do a new thing. And your structures and systems will have to give way. And yet, this is very significant, Jesus does not cut Himself off from the old. He actually taps back into the original intention of the old. Which is why I've titled the message True Change 2, Back to the Future. Radical change is not about simply creating something new that has no connection to the old. Radical change means creating something new that has its roots going back deeply into the original intention of the old. It's rediscovering and reinterpreting, re-envisioning those true intentions of God. The old wineskin doesn't have any longer have room for the dynamic power of the new wine. There needs to be a wineskin which has the flexibility and the pliability and resiliency that comes from being connected to God. I mentioned this last week. I'm going to mention it again today. You and I, our deepest longing for most of us, if we're honest, most of us think of the greatest virtue is that of stability. But in the kingdom of God, a virtue greater than stability is the virtue of resiliency. That's what he calls us to, the place of resiliency. Leonard Sweet writes, to prepare for and leading ongoing adaptive change, the church grafts new ministries into old roots. The church lives out of tradition, not on tradition. The church builds on tradition. It doesn't live on tradition. Churches that live on tradition die on tradition. In fact, he writes, the Christian tradition is open to change. In fact, that's one of the things that distinguishes it from other religious traditions. The closest thing that Islam has to the Western notion of heresy is the Arabic word for innovation. Fear of the new, aversion to change, and intolerance for disagreement mark many other religious traditions much more than the Christian tradition. How ironic. It appears that the New York Times on its front pages has identified Christians as the chief roadblocks to new ideas and change in our society. How do we help the church to be true to its own heritage and lead this postmodern reformation? How do we prepare Christians to respond effectively to change, to feel good about change, to embrace a transition agenda? How can we move, help move the church from a maintenance culture to a missional innovation culture? To prepare for and lead ongoing adaptive change, the church grafts new ministries into old roots. The church, as I already read, lives out of tradition, not on tradition. 
Transitional leaders need to be turnaround. That is metanoia artists. But it is God who affects the turnaround. Religious leadership is less about turning around or turning ahead and more about turning toward God. Turning towards what God is already doing in this new world. So, how do I change my brittle wineskin? How do I... How do I work with the inflexibility of my heart? Here it is. Hold your breath. Turn towards God. Turn towards God and tap in to the true root of his heart intention. Go back to go forward. Dig deeper to go higher. You see, Jesus doesn't dig up the old roots, but He taps deeply into those roots and He breaks up the ground around those roots in order that we might receive the full life and sustenance from those roots. This was the challenge that the Lord gave to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. You know it so well. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? This is Revelation 2, verse 1. These are the seven, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Sounds really good. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have lost. That soft heart. That pliability. That flexibility. That fluidity. That resiliency. It would receive the wine of my presence, the wine of my power, the wine of my life in you. It's so tragic that as the church we are known as perhaps the most reactionary institution in our culture. When in fact, we're called to be the most revolutionary. The values wars going on. We're called 
We're called to engage our culture. Not simply with a series of rules and regulations, but the reason and purpose behind God's grace in even establishing those rules and regulations. What is His heart? Intention. Rather than a face of anger and and hatred, a face of tears and brokenness over the brokenness of the world. Too often the church has really missed the point. And we must go back and hear once again Jesus, the Son of Man, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, and listen to His heart and begin to engage those around us with His heart. In our lives personally, how are you going to transform this, you know, the old Keith Green song, what can be done with an old heart like mine? Soften it up with the oil and wine. Lord, remind me, help me to remember who you are in your heart and your call upon my life. Have you lost track in the midst of the dailiness of life the true calling and purposes of God as He has created you. In your marriage, whenever people come into me for marriage counseling, one of the very first things that I do is I ask them to tell me how you first met and what first caused you to love your spouse. To go back in order to go to the future. To remember. That's what we've done here at Bethel in terms of as a church. We've gone back. We have these foundational principles and values that are rooted all the way back in our 78-year history. Change happens. Shift happens. It's a part of life. Change is normal, continual, and expected. But it's a radical change that is always going back to the roots. Is it rooted in the gospel? Does it recognize the true principles of Scripture? Is it related to what has happened in the history of the church? And is it relevant to now? You know, things like, I mean, I know we could take thousands of examples. Things like Sunday school. What was Sunday school established for? It was established to help kids who had no training whatsoever in anything. And and it was meant to bring them in and give them an opportunity to learn principles. You know? We do this incredible day camp thing that these guys over here make happen each year. Well, day camp, you know, we change, you know, it's not not VBS because 
in the perception around VBS as something for the church kids to help them have something to do during the summer. Day camp is for everybody out there. I mean, it's for our kids too, but do you see? It's the root. Find the root. said it before, I'll say it again. I mean, one of the most tragic things, I mean, how on earth? You know, 25 years of worship wars that people have been going, worship wars? The only war I know about worship is the worship war with the enemy! It's not about style. It's not about any of Worship team, would you please come on up? We're going to sing a really old hymn. Well, I don't know how old it is, but it's old enough. The words of which... Go ahead and put them up, Vern. Have thine own way. Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. This morning, if you would acknowledge and be honest before God and recognize if you're, if you, you know, as, as the Spirit has been speaking to us today by His Word and you recognize today that your heart has become, maybe not in every place, but there are places in your heart that have become inflexible and brittle. That have become hardened this morning. Lord just wants to come and soften. so that you might receive the full presence. The full power of the gospel. Maybe you've never received him today. Don't just try to sew a little patch on an old garment. He wants to give you a new garment. (laughs) He wants to give you a whole new garment.